We're standing outside the bathroom of the Field Museum in Chicago. And this was rated the best public bathroom in America in 2011. There's a reason we're here. We're going to get to that in a couple minutes. Emily from the Field Museum is checking out the bathroom and making sure it's clear that we can go in. Okay, we can come in. Come on in. This is my first time in a women's restroom. Not mine. Oh my god. Yeah. This is a, it's huge. There's a lot going on in here. Can you just describe this bathroom? So you walk in and you're, you're like immediately transported. We put this beautiful like blue painting of the sky above and you've got displays about Sue in one corner, about the museum in another. I mean, it's just, it's a nice, calm area, which is kind of crazy because a lot of the uh, places in the museum, they're loud, they're obnoxious because you've got all these kids running around and all these buttons to push. In here, you're like, ah, quiet. What would you say is the number one best thing about this bathroom? I like the little tot area. I think it's cute. And what would you say is the number two best thing about this bathroom? Well, that's a loaded question in a bathroom. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's hear a flush, Mike. Yeah, all right. Let's see how the flush stacks up to the other bathrooms we've been in. Not taking any chances on that one. That's going to keep flushing. That's a strong, that's a strong, powerful flush. Ah! That's... That's a sensitive button there. Now this, it's like a, oh. So the problem with being surrounded by motion sensors, everything's gonna go off at some point. So let me ask you this. So if, um, you know, if someone wanted to create um, the, the best possible public restroom, knowing what you know, uh, what's one piece of advice you would give them? I would say stay away from the glitz, because our competitors, we had people who had, like, there was one restroom that had lights in the faucet. So, like, when you washed your hands, it would be blue and red. And then if you used warm, it would be purple lights and all this stuff. And so I was like, oh, there's no way we're going to win. But people like, it's, it's yeah. simple, but it, it works. It's got all the, all the right stuff. I think the key is just to keep people in a relaxed frame of mind. You don't want to overload their senses. They need to be able to concentrate on the task at hand. Exactly. And there was like a ninja-themed restroom, which I think would be very nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, keep it simple. Keep it calm. Well, um, thanks so much for, for showing us around this restroom. No problem. You want to use it? Uh, kind of. I yeah. already did. Okay, so here's what we want to do. This is why we're in a public bathroom. We want to create a national registry of public restrooms. Now, this is ambitious. This, I think, is the the largest and maybe the only helpful project we've ever undertaken because it is the worst when you can't find a public restroom. Or maybe it's even worse when you find one and it's really gross. Or it's closed. Yeah. So here's what we want you to do. Whenever you come across a public restroom, and it could be anywhere in a restaurant or a Starbucks. Yeah, anywhere that you can easily sneak into without the people who work there seeing you. Just jot down some info. Tell us where it is, when it's open, maybe some descriptive adjectives uh, to let us know what it looks like. Yeah, just give us a review. Maybe you can rate it on a scale of one to five flushes. And what we will do is we will compile all of this and put it out in a map of the United States. Maybe eventually the world. A world bathroom registry. Uh, send us your review at howto at npr.org. Or you can leave it as a voicemail at one 800 gag 5 I feel like we're building a better tomorrow. This can't fail. 
This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how to name your trivia team. And how to get that malfunctioning Legend of Zelda cartridge to finally play. Ten years later. Twenty years later? A long time later. But first, Wednesday night, we had the first presidential debate of 2012. You probably watch it. It's a huge media event. And to make sure they get all the lights and cameras and microphones in the right place before the candidates get there, they stage a mock debate. Joining us now are Dia and Zach. They are two students at the University of Denver. They filled in for President Obama and Governor Romney, respectively. So how did you guys get selected? Like, Dia, do you look like, uh, we, we can't see on the radio, do you look like President Obama? Yes, I've actually gotten a lot of uh, remarks telling me that I, I do look like the president. I have a picture with them, too, uh, that I got in October 2011. And Zach, how did you get chosen then to fill in for Romney? Uh, actually, very similar. Uh, Dia and I do undergraduate student government together, and um, Carla just approached us afterward. He, he told me that there was something Romney-esque about me, so uh, he, he dropped the question, and I was happy to accept and help out. So uh, what do you think that is? What do you think is Romney-esque about you? Uh, you know... Maybe my hair was a little tight that day. Uh, maybe I was wearing a blue tie or something. I, I don't know. I, uh, he was interested in kind of getting uh, someone from the Democratic persuasion to uh, play with President Obama and then someone from the uh, conservative persuasion to uh, kind of play Governor Romney. So uh, I guess I kind of fit the bill for what they were looking for, uh, you know, similar enough. And so do the two of you, uh, Dia and Zach, do you guys get along? Oh, yeah. I mean, the uh, the debates were very cordial. We, uh, yes. I mean, but it was a debate. We, we threw some jabs back and forth, uh, but it, it was all cordial. So what were some of the jabs that got thrown back and forth? Well, I mean, we really tried to impersonate some things that the actual president and, uh, you know, former Governor Romney would actually bring up in the debates. We were asked about the economy. We were asked about uh, foreign policy to a lesser extent and other uh, domestic issues. And, you know, we responded with some other platform uh, ideas. So, you know. Uh, I would attack, for example, like President Obama's tax policies over the past four years or the unemployment rate. And, uh, you know, Dia would come back with some comments about how I killed jobs at Bain Capital and uh, stuff, stuff like that. So what, what, how is this useful to the people putting on the debate? What are they doing while you guys are, are uh, sparring? They are adjusting lighting, microphone, uh, camera settings, just usual settings that would be uh, present during the debate. And then, uh, also later on this morning, they uh, brought in Jim Lehrer, who's going to be uh, obviously moderating tonight. And then he did a, a dry run with us as well. So we had Jim Lehrer asking us questions. So wait, what did, did, what did he ask? Did he ask you then, like, legitimate questions? Uh, the first question that he asked us, uh, which surprised us very much, was uh, which team we thought was going to win the series this year. So uh, are they the people that are telling you, you know, what they need you to be doing? Are they calling you, uh, you know, Mr. President and Governor Romney, or, or what? Oh uh, yeah, they they definitely were. <laughs> how do you how did you like the the sound of that? It sounded nice. It was uh, it was very cool. So real quick, guys, who won when you guys debated? Who who won the debate? Oh oh, no doubt, I won. Ah, uh, uh, I'm gonna have to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> There's just no common ground, is there, you guys? There never is. <laughs> All right, Dia and Zach, President Obama, Governor Romney, fill in. Thank you for your time. Yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Us. 
If you grew up playing Nintendo, chances are, at some point, the game you wanted to play either didn't work or it froze mid-game and you had to take it out and blow on it. I, yeah, I blew on a lot of games in my day. Chris Higgins wrote about this uh, for Mental Floss. So, Chris, I guess let's just start right at the top. All the time I spent blowing into my Nintendo games, what, was I actually doing anything? Do you really want me to ruin this for you right at the top? Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, all signs point to no. It, it didn't help. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a tough blow. It's a, it's a tough thing because I did it. My friends did it. We had a lot of different methods. But the one, the blowing method, I mean, that was that was my go-to thing. You know, you put the game in, it didn't work, and you'd pull it out and blow in it, put it back, and it seemed to work, right? Yeah, every time. Yeah, it's logical. This is kid logic. All right, all right Chris, so let's, um, just so we can all remember, let's, uh, if you could demonstrate the, the blowing technique for us. Right, so I have a cartridge here. It's an Ultima cartridge, and I will blow into it. Man, you have a much, I, I, I remember my own cartridge blow. It was much shorter. I would hold it uh, perpendicular to the ground and really quick go top to bottom. That doesn't feel satisfactory to me. It feels <laughs> to me like, you know, it's, it feels to me like you really want to get in there. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's good, but it feels right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think about it and I can't remember anyone ever telling me what you need to do is blow in the game. But right. I always knew that, and everyone I knew knew that. Yeah, I actually interviewed a couple of people and asked them, how did this happen? Like, how did we share this sort of tribal knowledge of uh, of blowing into a cartridge when clearly, like, there weren't categories of other electronics that I remember blowing into. You know, you didn't blow into your TV or your no. phone or <laughs> I, I, your Walkman, maybe. Maybe you'd hit it. Uh, but yeah, no one... Well, see, at first I spoke to a guy who, uh, Frankie Vitarello, and he's a sort of a classic gaming expert. And he said, prior to Nintendo, he was not aware of anybody actually blowing into cartridges. And he, he knows quite a bit about this. And in the comments, though, when we put the article up, people came out of the woodwork and said, you know what, my Atari 2600, I was blowing into that, and it worked. Um, so there's a lot of lore going on here. We don't know how it spread. Um, I, I don't think Nintendo ever actually recommended it. In fact, Nintendo has a statement now that says, please, people don't blow into your game packs. The game pack is technically the term for the uh, Nintendo cartridge. So they think it's bad, and we don't have any evidence that it actually does work. We think it's psychological. So, so what you're saying is the blowing had no effect. It's the taking the cartridge back out and putting it in the machine again. that That's actually helping the you. The blowing, I mean, well, it's important to say the blowing had an effect. It may have moved some dust around. It may have heated up the metal, but... I don't see any strong evidence that it actually increased conductivity or, you know, made the game actually work. So tell me, um, I mean, I think everyone I knew also, their their NES failed. And so everyone had to do this or may, maybe the game failed. Do you know, was it the same thing going on with all of our machines that that made us try blowing into the cartridge? Yeah, there's a whole world of crazy engineering problems uh, with the Nintendo Entertainment System in the U.S. So this was, I'm not saying it was a poorly engineered machine, but there were problems between the connector and the cartridge. So the main one you would see is, obviously, if the cartridge itself was all gunky or messy or you had blown in it quite a bit or you'd gotten a sandwich in there or sure. whatever, the connection that it made between cartridge and slot would just get dirty. And that was, that was problem A. Everything suffers from that problem. But Nintendo made it extra special weird. 
Uh, in the NES, you had to put in the cartridge, like slide it in the front, kind yeah. of like a VCR, and then pop it down. And only when you popped it down did it make the final connection. And that was a really poor engineering choice, in my, you know, in my opinion. Like, what would happen there is you had a set of springs that held up that cartridge, and those springs could wear out, um, which led to a phenomenon called stacking, which is where you'd put in the game, push it down, and then cram in something on top of it, like a you know a Lego, a roll of coins. Yeah, I would totally cartridge. do that. Yeah, stacking. Yeah. So you were a stacker. <laughs> And uh, that did work. That actually definitely worked because the, the, the connection happened uh, vertically. So the pins pressed down from above. So stacking, I think, actually is a legitimate trick. It's not necessarily good for it. But, you know, if you want your game to load, that's one thing to do. We also had people who were, for lack of a better term, whackers. And I did this. I would take the cartridge and whack it against my thigh and then put it in and pop it down. Um, and that seemed like, that's kind of like hitting the TV, you yeah. know, like when the TV's not working, you kind of just bonk it on the side. There was, there was one that I'd never heard of, uh, in interviewing, you know, various people who should know. And this came out all over the place. People were saying, you know, I, I had a technique and it worked. And this thing, I would call it sort of snapping. Uh-huh. Maybe you did this, um, or you had some friend who could magically fix Nintendos. Um, you're, you're standing in front of the Nintendo, you put in the cartridge, and instead of pushing it all the way back, you pull it towards yourself a little bit. It's not all the way in. Uh -huh. And then you slam it down. <laughs> and the slamming action, while, again, not good for electronics, that slamming action probably did get you a better connection. So, you, uh, so we have blowers, whackers, stackers, and snappers. Yeah, and you would have a combination of these things. The reality was that, you know, I was a blower and a whacker. But people, you know, friends of mine would do this as well. And they, they all had their own ways. Yeah, I guess I was a, a, a blower and a stacker, but not a whacker or a snapper. Right. But it's funny because you'll talk about this and people will, will absolutely say, oh, my older brother, he, he had the snap thing down and I, couldn't, I could never do it. And, you know, he had some connection with the, uh, the, the god of Nintendo that made it work. So, uh... I guess, I mean, you know, we're a how-to show, so um, I guess if, if you were giving advice to someone who, for some reason, uh, has not upgraded from the 8-bit uh, to a more modern system, if they're going to choose one method to get their Nintendo game working, what, what, would, you, what would you tell them to do? Uh, rubbing alcohol and a cotton swab. I mean, that's the simple one. Just the Nintendo party line. <laughs> right. Hey, Chris, thank you so much. Right on. Thanks for having me. Hey, How To Do Everything listeners, do you remember waiting in line in the rain for concert tickets? Have you ever made your own top five list? Maybe you've always wondered what it takes to release a mixtape online. Then you, my friend, are a true music fan. But never fear, there's a place for you every week. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We're the hosts of Sound Opinions. Each week we bring you the latest in rock and pop to satisfy your curiosity. From interviews with people like Brian Eno and Jack White to performances by Screaming Females in Arcade Fire. Plus, the week's music news and album reviews. So whether you're the first to tweet news about the latest Passion Pit release or you haven't bought a new record since Frampton Comes Alive, we've got a place in the conversation for you. Because we're music critics, but like you, we're also fans. And admitting it is the first step. Subscribe to Sound Opinions for free on iTunes or at soundopinions.org.
know what that sound means. It's time, of course, for a little wisdom from Nick Offerman's Woodshop. You probably know Nick from the NBC show Parks and Rec, and this is where Nick takes Blythe, our producer, back to his woodshop and shares some wisdom from his woodshop. Okay, uh, Nick, this question comes from Erin. She wants to know, how do I come up with a good bar trivia team name? Um, well, you first you figure out your porn name, and then you take your uh, sixth grade science teacher, and you might have to do a little homework. You find out their porn name, and then take the two names and uh, inter intercollate the letters. Um, it often comes up quite nonsensical, but every uh, one out of every thirty or forty um, is incredibly funny. Yeah, and I, I, I like that it puts you back in touch with your sixth grade science teacher. It does. I mean, and if by now, like most of us, you probably have some questions that on some, some science topics that you've let go uh, since you learned them. And so it's an opportunity to get a refresher on, on inert gases and the solar system. So do you know what yours might be then? Mine is uh, Euphaestus Cunical Swame. Uh, is my uh, my trivia team name? That's intimidating. I like that because no one would know really what what to think. No, it's true. I uh, I am quite intimidating, and no one will ever be on my team. But I've never been defeated. That does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that they go through the whole debate before. The debate. They yeah. they have fake candidates who actually believe the things that the candidates believe, arguing on stage. And with even the moderator. The real moderator is there. I, I think it's fun to see younger versions of the candidates. You know what I would really like to see is an even younger debate. You have you have toddler Obama and toddler Romney going at it. Yeah. For that debate, you really could lower expectations in a meaningful way. You know, like Governor Romney is a very skilled debater. President Obama still isn't potty trained. And when he, he he makes that nice speech about his grandmother and she's actually there holding him. Yeah. That yeah. would be adorable. I can imagine Jim Lehrer speaking up at some point. Use your words, Governor Romney. Inside voice, Mr. President. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Hega with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Leah Menzer. <laughs> Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And check out our website, howtodoeverything.org. And find a restroom somewhere and send us a review. Yeah, call us and leave a message, 1-800-GAGAX-5. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.